0: Hello, everyone. This is Beatles Examiner Steve Marinucci, welcoming you to another edition of Things We Said Today, our weekly discussion of all things Beatles. That'll takes us anywhere and everywhere. Um, let me, uh, before we talk about what we're going to be talking about, let me introduce my uh, co-host first, uh, or the host of the radio show Every Little Thing, uh, Ken Michaels. Hello, Ken.
1: Hey, Steve. Hi, everybody
0: and i should say to my virtual right because they're all on the east coast and i'm on the west coast or i guess depending on which way i'm looking but uh to my vert to the other side of the country also um uh, writing for a beetle fan magazine and an author in his own right uh and i'm not talking about john lennon first we have mr al fussman
2: hey steve hello there everybody
0: and also uh, out on the East Coast, um, another author in his own right, also writing for BeetleFan and many other publications, um, Mr. Alan Cozen, Hello, Alan.
3: Hey, Steve. Hello, everyone.
0: And we have, uh, we're we going to talk today. Uh, uh, there was a lot of discussion on the Internet this week about Keith Richards' comments about Sgt. Pepper being rubbish. Um that got a lot of a lot of blowback from people, a lot of you know comments uh, of people complaining about, you know, Keith and about the stones and about the, talking uh, about the Beatles and we thought we would go through that today and we have a special guest and you you know the special guest if you've been hanging around the show for a while because he's the gentleman who wrote our theme music, our great theme music, but he also is a Stones fan and he's going to try and defend the Rolling Stones on a Beatles show. And that, <laughs> and that would be Mr. Michael Lynch. Hello, Michael.
4: Hi, Steve. Hi, everybody.
0: And, uh, let we, me just we've got go ahead. I, I was just going to say we're ganging up on you four to one.
4: Well, go- <laughs> well let, let me, let me just make this clear. I mean, um, I know a lot of you guys know me as the Stones fan, but the truth is I am a huge fan of both groups and whereas some of you have seen me on the Beatle boards defending the Stones, if you had been on the Stones boards there have been plenty of times where the tables have been turned and I'm defending the Beatles. So I have been on both sides of the fence and it is an interesting place.
0: It it, it definitely is. It definitely is. Let's I mean, let's start about the the whole thing any uh anyway. I mean I really found, and and anybody uh, anybody that wants to come in on this, you know, say so. In reading his comments in context, I didn't think he was really complaining that much about Sergeant Pepper because he was talking about both Pepper and their Satanic Majesty's request, and he basically said that both he he didn't like either one. Did did anybody? Anybody want to want to talk on that and, you know, and tell me what you think?
2: Well, I I, I think I think Keith, much like John Lennon, Keith tends to say things just almost for the shock value of what they're going to look like in print. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he may not completely believe what he's uh, what he's actually saying, but just to just to, you know, throw a zinger out there. I mean, after all, uh, Keith is a huge Beatles fan. I mean, it was in fact it was Keith who, in 2005, uh, suggested that that Paul begin performing uh, "Please Please Me." Mm-hmm. That's right.
0: And there's an outtake out there of him doing "Please Please Me," as I recall, <laughs> that is actually really really good. I mean, it's, it's 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 you know it's just him in the studio alone. But it's it's a lot of fun to listen to. He he did a a great little ad lib version of it, you know. Yeah. So I I agree that he does tend to to open his mouth and you know and say things. I mean he that's the way he is with everything. I mean he's that's his personality. But I, the whole thing. Go ahead. Uh, Alan. I, I
3: think I think he he meant it at face value. I I don't see why not. I mean I. I'm sure Keith hated satanic majesty's request just as much as he hated Sergeant Pepper. And I think he basically was blaming Sergeant Pepper for them doing satanic majesty's request because, Mm -hmm. um, as, as John Lennon used to point out, you know, just look at what we did and see what the stones do two months later. You know, Mm -hmm. um, I think that they, you know, I, I think in both cases, I think I think it's probably a little unfair to look back at it that way because it was heading into that psychedelic era where everybody was doing stuff, not just the Beatles. And um, it was that was just the 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 sound of the times. And, um, I, you know, I really like Satanic Majesty's request of it. Uh, apparently, uh, apparently I'm in the minority um, uh, among Stones fans even, but um, right. I've always liked that album. And uh, so I think that, you know, Keith is like, Keith is more of a hardcore blues guy and he doesn't, I don't think he really wants to be involved with singing, you know, 2000 light years from home and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, that kind of stuff. And I I can see why he would have thought the whole thing was just, you know, not his cup of tea and pepper in the same way. And, uh, so yeah, I, I I took it pretty much at, at face value. I think he meant it. Um, and, and I think that because so many Stones fans seem not to seem, seem to feel that Satanic Majesties is some sort of embarrassment in their catalog, um, I think that he wouldn't have thought of it as being shock value for those people. You know that he uh-huh. he would expect them to agree. So and that's just my take on it.
1: I kind of agree with uh, exactly what Al- what Alan said. I think this this quote from. Keith is more a reflection of the direction that the Stones were going into, and the Beatles, because I think at heart he is an R&B guy, a blues guy, and he liked, uh, you know, the more pure rock and roll, you know, simple, you know, guitars and drums, a little bit of piano, and probably didn't like the fact the Beatles were getting into psychedelic, and like Alan was saying, so many bands were doing that too. He didn't want the Stones to go in that direction. So, yeah, I'm sure that he also didn't like both those albums. So uh, I think it's more a reflection of the direction that both bands were going into.
2: And that's kind of of proven out by the fact that the next two albums, next two Stones albums after Satanic Majesties were very much back to the roots and, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, Beggar's Banquet and Let It Bleed. You know, we're very, very much of a return to the Stones, uh, you know, their, uh, the, you know, their their best musical instincts.
0: Mm-hmm. And and there's a quote in the Esquire interview that really kind of says it, it says what he really feels about both albums. He says after he said uh, it was a mishmash of rubbish, kind of like Satanic Majesty's, he said, oh, if you can make a load of shit, so can we. <laughs> so I mean, I, you know I mean that basically basically says how seriously they took it. Michael, what do you have to say
4: uh, i 'm pretty much agreeing with uh, most of what you guys have said so far i 'll say that when I first saw the quote I heard it I, th- I thought it was a pretty funny quote actually because uh when Keith uh, talks in an interview, he always seems very casual and uh, you know he, he laughs, he seems like a friendly guy in a good mood, so like when I read those comments from Keith. I picture them like that, and it was easy to just think of him just saying that with a smile on his face, and I could find it funny, whereas if Pete Townsend, who I love, you know, a great guy, I love Pete, but, you know, he often comes across as very sullen and bitter in his interviews or, you know, like a guy with a chip on his shoulder, I think it would take on a different context, and uh, I don't know. So, I mean, I I just kind of laughed at the comments when I read it, you know, uh, and I knew it would be upsetting to a lot of fans, but I figured, you know, what the heck. It's Keith. I love the guy.
0: Even if Mick had said, if Mick had said it, I think the it would have taken on a, a whole different tone. I, I think agree. You, you know you, you're absolutely right, and and um, I mean it, it would have been. I mean every time you know when Mick says something, people get real serious about you know about what he says. I, I think you're right, though. I think people tend to take take Keith a lot less seriously. Alan, you mentioned something. I think it was on Facebook yesterday, or or in the emails when we were talking. About this, you mentioned about uh, Keith's um, autobiography, and I looked it up, and he actually called Satanic Majesties a put on, um,
5: mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Which is which is another way of looking at it, because I I never really thought of it as a as more. I mean, I thought they were fairly serious, but I guess I, I guess to think of it as a put on would have been, you know, is a, is puts a whole new light on the whole thing.
3: too. I never believed that. <laughs> so, that I thought was was Keith saying something for shock value. Yeah. I mean, know, yeah, Listen, listen to that album. If, if something is a put on, you know, it's a little clearer. And, and not to mention that you know there are lots of bootlegs of outtakes from the sessions. I think that and they're working pretty seriously on these things. And mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't buy it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. What about you, Michael?
4: Well, let me just tell you where I stand on Satanic. I mean, I do prefer. You know, even though I'm supposed to be the Stones defender here, I do prefer Pepper to Satanic, but that's only really because uh, there's one or two cuts on, I don't think there are any bad cuts on Sergeant Pepper, whereas there's one or two cuts on Satanic that I just a uh, gomper I'm thinking. I don't I don't really care for <laughs> that one too much.
1: So uh,
4: so I mean, you know, just for uh point value, that's why I prefer uh, Pepper. Although I don't believe either album is either band's best album of nineteen sixty seven. So there's a thought for you. Huh. I actually yeah, really? I, I actually prefer Magical Mystery Tour to Sgt. Pepper. I don't know why. I think I just like the songs better. But and I prefer between the buttons to Satanic. Okay. Yeah.
2: Okay. Wow. I
4: can I can go with that. <laughs> that's
0: an that's an interesting, that's an interesting yeah. yeah, I can I, I can go with the latter. I'm not sure if I can go with yeah. the, about the hmm. magical mystery tour, but I I,
4: I uh, maybe I I think I think that's largely because it's got I Am the Walrus, which is one of my all time favorite songs, so that like yeah. takes extra point value. I don't know.
3: Yeah. Mm. We we may be demurring about that because it wasn't really an album, but um yeah but it kind of was here, so uh yeah. mm-hmm. this is before you were born apparently. Yeah. Oh, you know sure what when, when when um it's funny, when Satanic Majesties came out, I think the track I liked best and for oh, <laughs> A weird stereo wiring reason um, was Citadel,
1: mm. because
3: uh, yeah, I, yep. I, I really like that track and um, and the way my house was wired. We had the stereo speakers in the in the living room, but for some reason, my my father had wired like the left channel only speaker into this other room, sort of where the washer and dryer was. And so I, you know, if I was folding up clothes or something, you know. I'd listen to Citadel and just hear the instrumental track, and I really liked that <laughs> better than the whole mm-hmm. track. Um, wow. but, but, you know, um, I think also in both cases, um, I'm not sure I want to admit this thing, seeing as I'm supposed to be essentially a musical guy. I think in both cases, the packaging comes into it too. I, I think of both Pepper and Satanic Majesties as the full package. With the cover, with, you know, and Satanic Majesties, you have to admit, had a pretty special cover with the four Beatles in the picture. Mm -hmm. So um, there was, I don't know, there was just something about both of them that I really liked. And uh, I don't skip any cuts when I play Satanic Majesties either, not even sing this all together and see what happens or gomper. Also, you get to hear something from Bill Wyman, you know, in another yeah. band. I, I really right. like that too. I like that harpsichord, and the you know, it's it, it just was uh was was a bit different for them. And I liked what they had been doing before. Really liked what they did after. But I, I still have a soft spot for that album.
4: One problem I do have with that album, I mean, all in all, I think it's a very good album. I enjoy it a lot. One problem I have is the sequencing because my three favorite songs on the album are. Uh, not necessarily in this order, but they are Sing This All Together, mm-hmm. Citadel, and In Another Land. Those are the first three songs on the album. So, in other words, the album peaks early for me. Yeah. Okay. Uh, mm. hmm. You don't like She's a Rainbow, Michael? I, I've gone back and forth on that one. I like it. I never really liked the ooh-la-la, so i got to be honest. Uh.
5: Mm.
4: But I think okay. it's a good song. I, I, think it, I think one thing I never was too crazy about that song, the way it kind of stops and starts, which I guess is part of the effect, but I don't know it's almost like it. I don't know. It's almost like it's slowing down. Like there's a problem or something like that. I don't know.
2: Actually, to give Satanic Majesty is kind of its its due. There were a whole bunch of albums that came out in the second half of '67 and the beginning of uh, the first three or four months of '68, which were very much, you know, uh, kind of based on the whole Sgt. Pepper idea, or at least influenced oh, yeah. by it. And most of them after bathing, with, uh, after bathing at Baxter's by Jefferson airplane, uh, the rascals ones upon a dream, vanilla I... fudges, the beat goes on, which might be one of the worst albums ever made. Most of those, <laughs> Most of those albums were really bad and were definitely not, not good fits for those particular bands. But, Satanic Majesties, even with a little, you know, uh with some some excess that you know was probably not necessary, it certainly was a hell of a lot better than the beat goes on. <laughs> <laughs>
4: I'll laugh at that, even though yeah. Long Island, you're you're insulting my local boys.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's right, because right. uh, the bunch were from Long Island. Which that's is right, your, your neck of the woods.
4: I am literally about ten minutes away from where those albums were recorded. Actually,
2: wow, really, wow, really.
4: It's now a laundromat. <laughs> I kid you not. Ultrasonic Studios is now like a laundromat and a pet store. I think. Wow. The beat does rock not history, go on.
0: Rock history. Rock history lives. Oh
5: right. my god.
0: What a, what a shame. But I mean, you know, this whole thing. I mean, let's let's open it up a little further to the the whole idea of the Beatles versus the Stones. And I re- I know, you know, two books have been done on this, and I I'm not trying and. Uh, Outside of what those books say, because I, I mean, those are not what we're talking about. I mean, among us, uh, um, among us, what do we think about the Beatles versus the Stones? Uh, okay, I'm gonna, Ken, I'm going to can I'm going to start with you, if you don't, if you don't mind, because you've been quiet. You've been too quiet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I thought I'd never hear you say that. <laughs> uh, no, I love both bands. You know, I don't really. Uh, the Beatles will always be the greatest band of all time for me, but. With all the great bands, they all have their own identity, and uh you know the stones have put out some of the greatest rock and roll of all time. I've never you know said anything negative about the stones through the years because when it comes to putting out not only the original songs that they've done, which is amongst some of the greatest rock songs ever, but I like the songs that they've covered too. you know they are great at what they do they're just not as um, musically eclectic as the Beatles have been and I'm very much into eclecticism you know but that doesn't make them worse <laughs> or less of a band uh, for me because what they do they do so well you, you know don't think, and it's you don't, and you don't still.
0: Think the Stone, you don't think the Stones disco period made them eclectic
1: Oh no 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 there there are different styles that the that the Stones have done but nowhere near to the degree that the Beatles have done and that's also including all their solo music. Okay. You know, I love the country stuff that the Stones have done like Far Away Eyes. You know, and I love the disco period too. As uh-huh. well. But by and large I love, you know, the rock and roll and the R&B based stuff. You know, uh, a song like um Mixed Emotions. You know, it's one of my favorite yeah. of their of their more recent. Well that's it's going back now. But, you know, they're still great at putting out great songs with amazing hooks. And, um, you know, I I admire artists that really expand themselves musically and go in a lot of different directions, which is why I love the Beatles so much. It's one of the many reasons. But the Beatles went in you know, so many different directions from not just the, the rock and the pop, but also country music some blues, the Indian music, the classical music, the psychedelic stuff. And then in the solo, you know, music they put out, they went even further. Mm-hmm. You know, Paul McCartney has gone gone through, you know, he's just recorded so many different styles now. George Harrison got into Oriental type music, you know. There's so many different styles that the Beatles have done that makes me admire them even more. But, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to putting out some great rock and roll, Kick-ass rock and roll that still sounds so fresh. You know, the Stones are amongst the best that there is. But you know, I love the Beatles, the Stones, the Who, the Kinks, all the great British bands because you know they they have their own identity and they're all great at what they do. I don't necessarily like to say that one is the best, although the Beatles will always be the best for me.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, That's just how I. Okay. no okay. I know. I, I wasn't trying to interrupt you. I thought you were. I thought you were finished. Did you did you want to say a little more? Or, uh...
1: No, no. I just wanted to add one thing about Keith's comment, which is uh, one of the developments that I like to bring up every now and then about the Beatles is that I've noticed how through the years – Uh, An album like Revolver has just, you know, people admire it so much more now than they ever have to the degree where they rank it higher than Sgt. Pepper, which Sgt. Pepper was always looked at as being the greatest rock album of all time on almost every single music poll. And I think there has been a wave over the years, maybe the last couple of decades, in fact, where rock fans tend to prefer music that's, that's produced, that's simpler in terms of production where it's not so layered and so complicated and artsy, (laughs) you know, like Sgt. Pepper became, and Sgt. Pepper is. So Keith's comments fall in line with what a lot of rock fans and Beatle fans feel. I'm not saying everybody rates Revolver higher than Sgt. Pepper, although I think amongst this group, there may be a few that do. But I'm just saying when I hear comments like that, there are a lot of fans who point to You know, the the music of the Beatles that in terms of production was much simpler and in terms of songwriting was simpler, although they were always progressing. So it just falls in line with a lot of what I've heard in recent years when I think about that, because I always think about this thing about Revolver and I'm amazed and I'm, you know, I'm fascinated by it all, how Revolver has risen so highly in so many music polls as being not only the greatest Beatles album, but for some people, the greatest album of all time. Mm. So there are a lot of people who like the music that's pre 1967. And I even remember recently, somebody wrote into Facebook, um, just bouncing off something that was said about the Beatles and looking at 1967 as their year of overindulgence. Mm. And there may be a lot of people who feel that way now. And then they went back to being a band again with the white album. Mm -hmm. even though a lot of the White Album had the Beatles working in different studios Mm. at the same time. But, you know, you know, I'm saying in terms of production, in terms of getting down to just being a rock and roll band, just guitars and drums and a little bit of piano and not much else and not so much studio musicians. You know, there are people who prefer that. So I think what Keith is saying is is similar to the way a lot of rock fans and Beatle fans feel.
3: Mm. Alan. Yeah, you know, I I remember that whole Beatles Stones thing and I I never thought it was all that real and it, it kind of wasn't it was kind of I think produced um by the Stones early publicist who had worked for Brian for a while and sort of manufactured this business of you know, the Beatles are all clean cut and the Stones are really rough and out there. And I think, you know, and I think a lot of people bought into that. Uh, I mean, it's funny because in the, in this interview we're talking about with Keith, Keith also says, says the same thing, right? I think he says, you know, everyone said the Beatles were so clean cut and we weren't, they were just as bad as us. You know, mm-hmm. um, and, and you know, and they were. But but there were these sort of two myths created. And I think that a, a lot of that, I you know, it, I guess it depended even besides the music, what kind of image appealed to certain people. And but I don't know, among all of my friends, we both were all bi- we were all. Fans of both groups. Um, and as you said, the kinks and the who and all that stuff. I mean, we uh, we waited for every new release from any of them. I mean, maybe more for the Beatles ones because, you know, hey, they're the Beatles, you know, what I mean, by definition, you know, what could you say? But I, I remember when, when Beggar's Banquet came out and I think N.E.W. had probably an early acetate oven and was playing it on the air. And there was a lot of excitement, you know. I, when Jumpin' Jack Flash came out, everyone went crazy, you know. It was, uh, I, thought, I think it was really nice having these two groups that had some supposed theoretical tension, although if you'd been reading up on them closely, you knew that they were actually pals as well. <laughs> you know um and i think also the to in the, in a sense maybe john's comments about the stones um repeating what they were doing two months later is kind of unfair because they were they were hanging out and playing each other unfinished things and you know and they were probably both getting ideas from each other um i think this was um really an incredibly fertile time in rock and roll, everybody was getting ideas from everybody I mean mm-hmm. um look at the the birds sort of liked uh hearing some twelve string stuff on hard day's night, so they started doing their Dylan covers with twelve string George Harrison mm-hmm. hears that and does uh you know if I needed someone and you know these things are all sort of same thing with the Beatles and the Beach Boys, you know that whole rivalry where you know Brian heard. Um, rubber soul and came up with pet sounds sort of as a challenge. And then he heard Sergeant Pepper and went crazy because come on, who can equal that? Um, <laughs> apologies yeah. to Robert Rodriguez and the revolver contingent. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I, I look at that and, you know, we uh, it's gotten away a little. My, I've I've gone off off topic a little. Bit, but with the Stones and Beatles relationship too, you know, I I think that that was a really healthy interplay that everybody had in those days, and I don't see it a lot now, you know.
1: But what can you do? Will well, you don't it. see it Definitely. as as a rivalry? I don't
3: think it was a real rivalry. You know, it might have been a real rivalry rivalry in the sense that, you know, everybody wants to have the number one record and if they're both out at the same time. But I seem to remember John talking about how there was even sort of collusion so that the Stones and Beatles wouldn't have new singles out at the same time so that they wouldn't displace each other from being number yeah. one. Mm-hmm. so right. you know yeah. I wonder if we should get the you know
1: anti- wasn't that said also about <laughs> um you know other records then like like the Motown records the Supremes wouldn't put out a single at the same time the Beatles would mm. they'd wait a couple of weeks
3: Yeah well possibly Isn't that true? Uh I don't yeah. really know but uh but of course it would make sense if you if you were a record company and you know a new Beatles record's coming out you probably would uh, clear the decks but but on the other hand mm-hmm. you know who knows <laughs>
2: uh, (laughs) can you you hear us al uh, amid all that beneath the fumes from the bus
5: yes (laughs) (laughs)
2: you got a comment you got a comment uh yeah um actually uh alan makes an excellent excellent point but what i've what has always stuck in my craw about the Stones over the years, is this whole... And, and Michael has heard or seen this rant before, so uh, it don't... <laughs> but, Bring it on. But <laughs> I've always had a major problem with this whole thing of the Stones being labeled the world's greatest rock and roll band. They weren't the world's greatest rock and roll band in the 60s. We know who that was. They weren't the world's greatest rock and roll band in the 70s. That was Led Zeppelin, you know, unless you're a particular fan of the Eagles. They weren't the world's greatest rock and roll band in the 80s. That was U2. And after that, it hardly mattered because by the 90s, you know, it it had just gotten to the point where the Stones, every few years, you know, would, you know, reunite to, you know, make uh, make some bucks and charge $500 for a ticket to, you know, an overblown concert. Um, So... I just have never subscribed to the whole Stones being the world's greatest rock and roll band. But uh and, and also, frankly, you know, the I would say, looking at it generously, I would say that after Tattoo You, uh, which is nineteen eighty one, after that there's not a whole lot in the Stones catalog that's really worth the attention of most people and there are a lot of people in fact who will say that actually you know after exile on Main Street that was really the end of Stone's prime period and that's uh, that's a long time ago so uh, they certainly did they they did great work in the 60s and and yeah as Alan points out they were I think there was a lot of cross-pollinization if you will uh, there's even a shot of uh, from the revolver sessions of John holding up a copy of the English uh, version of Aftermath, which uh, which I believe had just come out. And uh, so there was a lot of cross-pollination between the two bands. But it, but after, I think after the Beatles broke up, the Stones kind of, even though a lot of people will say, well, the, the 70s was their greatest period, I would say that's uh, up for argument. Let's put it that way. Well, I, I think, think a lot of
0: that. Was, I think a lot of that was was me, it was record company hype. Um, yeah. I mean, that greatest rock and roll band uh, was Sam Cutler's introduction to that to, exactly. to their state shows, and and you know, I mean, you have you had. Um, little Richard introduced as the king of rock and roll you have, I mean, you know, you, I mean, that kind of, that kind of thing goes on. I mean, I think even, I think even Bo Dilly was introduced as the king of rock and roll, you know, I mean, that kind of thing goes on with whoever's playing on stage. And I don't know if you can take that seriously. I think it's the musical, the music that really counts. And while I will, I will say that, you know, the stones put out some fantastic albums. I mean, that period through uh, exile, on Main Street is absolutely mind blowing. You know, there was some. I agree, there was some drop off. Um, one of the Stones albums I really have had trouble listening to is Black and Blue. I do not yes. like Black and Black no, and not Blue. At all. Not
2: at all. Now
0: some some girls some girls I, I like. I even I even I think and I liked uh, Emotional Rescue and Tattoo Tattoo You. I think yeah. it was after. After Tattoo You, where it started to drop off a little bit, and then it really well, started to drop off. Yeah. Um, I mean, I haven't run out to buy a Stones album in quite a while. I think I picked a bigger bang on, um, you know, on a used, uh, you know, on a, as a used because I didn't run out and buy it when it first came out. So, uh, and um, I mean, I'm not, you know, they're, the fact that they're still playing live is great. I'm not sure I'd really want to go see them now. No, I'm sorry, I didn't go see them in in the '70s with Mick Taylor. That well, you I, know, I, I, re- I really regret that. I really regret I didn't see them.
2: Steve, I so. saw them at Madison Square Garden in mm-hmm. um, whenever it, in the summer of '72 during right. the uh, you know what I guess people have called the Ladies and Gentlemen the Rolling Stones tour. right, right. And and I was in the blue seats at Madison Square Garden. And in those days, there were no video screens and all. So we, right. were, so we didn't have, you know, incessant shots of Mick with his eyeliner and the glitter, mm-hmm. and all right. that stuff. And to me, sitting up there listening to them in the, uh, in the blue seats of Madison Square Garden, they weren't any better than most bar bands uh mm. that I was hearing in that period oh I I, you know, I, I, was... I saw
3: them I saw them twice on that tour um actually both in the same day um one up in the blue seats and then the evening show in the 25th row down downstairs and that evening show was amazing I I, I might agree with you about the the early show because the distance and all that stuff yeah. but um Mick Taylor played the most incredible solo on "Love in Vain" that I've ever heard. I mean, I've got all the bootlegs from the rest of the shows, and they're not oh, quite. So do I. And um, I accidentally taped that show and. Um,
5: oh, and, play,
3: <laughs> it and, it. And, play it for us! Play it for us. Well, it's out there now. Um, people yeah. have it. Uh, I've, I've seen it um, called something like five English gentlemen in a New York garden or something. Um, So you you should check that out because that, that I I wish they would, uh, I know they have um, soundboard tapes of that whole tour. They really should put that show out or or at least that track. There are uh, some,
0: there are some dynamite shows from, from that era that Brussels show that they finally put out themselves.
2: Yes. uh, Yeah.
0: Is absolutely amazing. I mean, Oh, my God, that is that is just dynamite. That Mick Taylor guitar is just fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I you know, it, it, there were some shows in that period where they were absolutely stunning. There's no question about it. But, yeah, I think they definitely did drop off after that. Michael, do you want to defend
4: them here? Well, first of all, as for those uh, Madison Square Garden shows in 72, Al, were you at the afternoon show? I think it was the afternoon show. Yes. Okay, because I've seen films and clips of that and yeah, that did not sound so good. Because no. I mean, I, I think that I think that was the show that uh there were films of it on the Dick Cavett show that was from around that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, okay. Uh, yeah. I have
0: seen that clip. I have seen that clip. Actually, that clip is on the Dick Cavett DVD if you Right. Mm-hmm. The Shout Factory DVD. It's that's actually right. been released legitimately. Yeah.
4: So. yeah, yeah. That that is. Uh, that's not a good example of that tour. But if that's the one you saw, that I can understand why you felt that way. Yeah. So But as for the dropping off of the period, yet yeah, I mean, I can definitely see that they went. Um, I've heard different. Uh, uh different fans say different uh, albums for when they started going downhill, and I can see the cases in a lot of them. I mean, after Exile on Main Street, the next album was Goat's Head Soup, which had some good songs, but was not as strong as the ones just before it. Yeah. And it was it's only rock and roll, which I like a lot actually. But I know yeah, that's good. same here. Yeah, same here. Um, it's a great song. Yeah, I mean the whole side. I think everything on side. I think most everything on side one is excellent, uh, and then everything else I think is uh, hit and miss. Yeah, tattoo you was great, and then it dropped for a little bit, but I think it picked up for a little bit. I I really liked. Um, oh, I'm such a fan. I don't even remember the name of the album. Uh, Some girls. Some girls? Some girls, no, no, some no! Girls. After, after some girls, um, emotional, emotional rescue. rescue. No, no, no! I'm going, I'm going uh, several albums later. Um,
1: Tattoo you, steel wheels. I'm,
4: I'm going, I'm going all the way to steel, steel wheels. wheels. Yep. yep. I
1: really? thought,
4: that, I thought that was a good. Um, I thought it was a very good album. Um, and even Stones fans disagree with me on this one. A lot of them do. Voodoo Lounge, which was the next studio album after that. I mm-hmm. thought that was a very good album. I really like that one. I still mm. play that one a lot. Mm. And the ones that have come out since then, which would be uh, Bridges to Babylon and uh, Bigger Bang. Mm-hmm. I thought they were good. I mean, I never thought, I mean, you might think I'm being a little biased here. I never thought there was any Stone Studio album that was completely terrible, that didn't have at least something that was, there's some that definitely percentage was lower than others. And it's probably the same albums you're thinking about, you know, uh, the 80s albums, uh, Dirty Work, um, uh, Undercover. They had yeah. some songs I like, but yeah, there was definitely, they definitely went downhill for a little bit from there. But I thought they made a nice recovery. Bigger Bang, I was sort of in
1: the middle with. I actually think that their 70s output was phenomenal. I love their music of the '70s, and maybe their albums weren't consistently strong, but there's enough really strong tracks. You know, if you were to do a, a compilation of great uh, Rolling Stone songs, you've got so many of them. Sure. I mean, in the '70s alone, uh, you know, you talk about Black and Blue. Memory Motel is one of my favorite songs of theirs, mm-hmm. and you can you can pick, you can cherry pick tracks from all their albums, even you know, in the decades that followed, and you can find some really great great songs in there. Oh yeah, there's no as shortage. a singles. As a singles band, they're phenomenal. Yeah. They put out some great singles throughout Absolutely. all the decades. Absolutely. So, you know, and I love the disco period. I thought Miss She was a terrific track. I loved Emotional Rescue. You know, I loved all that stuff. I didn't dismiss that at all. And, um yeah, like I said, Mixed Emotions is one of my favorite songs. I loved Harlem Shuffle. I thought that was a terrific cover. I,
0: I, I did, you too. Know. I thought that was excellent. The video on that was wonderful. <laughs> and and you know, I, also the only... like, I also like Stripped. I thought Stripped was great. Strip has mm-hmm. some good
4: things. I really like the version of uh, "Slipping Away" on that. I really like that, but I would always like that song anyway. So,
1: the only complaint I'd ever make about the Stones, and it's the the kind of thing that John Lennon said, and I don't agree with everything John said, but he said that so much of what they did is just you know a reworking of stuff that they've done already. And you know, in terms of production from Exile on Main Street, so much of their albums sound exactly the same, almost as if they could have all been recorded during the same time period. But I still love that production. You know, it, there's a brightness, there's a punchiness to, to the production that I really like. So, um, you know, if you love that kind of music, then the Stones are more your band.
3: And I think one of the limitations with, this, with the Stones is that there are really only so many hundreds of ways that you can rework a Chuck Berry riff. And yes. You, you exactly. know, that's basically the, the DNA of most of the Stones catalog. Yeah. Um so and, in fact, I mean, I thought it was it was great seeing Keith on that special with Chuck Berry, you know mm-hmm. when he produced that, and uh Taylor Hackford made it into a film, and there's that one rehearsal where Keith is playing the intro, and you know, let's face it, if one person on earth besides Chuck Berry can do. characterful chuck berry intro it's keith he's playing the intro and chuck keeps stopping and saying come on come on do it right and at one point he turns his back to chuck and towards the camera and just rolls his eyes (laughs) it's a really great scene but yeah Hmm. anyway
1: it's still a skill to be able to write more chuck berry-esque songs you know even paul mccartney said it as far as you know 50s rock and roll a lot of people think that it's so easy to write songs in that style but it's not as easy as it sounds so to to be able to come up with all the different riffs that that keith has that is a talent to itself and to be able to build a song around that you know mm-hmm. i i really um you know i think that is a talent as it's, it's he's you know it's definitely a you know, a talent that that keith has
0: let me let me ask another question who and this is probably a, a an obvious answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Who progressed further musically in their career, the Stones or the Beatles?
5: <laughs> this is all Alan.
0: I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to let you I'm gonna let you start. I mean, that's such a is that a softball question or what? <laughs>
3: I don't know. I mean, I I don't think the Stones were necessarily concerned with the idea of musical progression. I'm not even sure the Beatles were, but they but they did it. You know, I mean they they were always looking for new things. I don't think the Stones were particularly always looking for new things. I think it, at heart they really wanted to keep playing blues and Chuck Berry and that kind of stuff. And I think they may have sort of got sucked along in the Beatles' wake, you know, as oh. their big. Friendly competitors, um, of like, okay, let's try some of this stuff too. But you know, as soon as the Beatles weren't there anymore, they basically went back to you know, apart from the disco thing, which, um, uh, sorry, Ken, I, I loathe disco in any form. It? You know, I don't like when the okay. Stones, I don't like when McCartney <laughs> does it, you know, uh, you voice. know, Peace
1: and word. sorry,
3: yeah, oh, please. So, um, yeah, you know, so they did some experiments there, but I obviously. I don't consider that musical progression. I don't. You know, it seems to me if you listen to the most recent Stone Studio stuff, you don't see a huge amount of musical progression. I mean, they're they're much more facile players. You know, they're 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 better than they were on their first albums. But um, it's not like the distance from "I Want to Hold Your Hand" to "Strawberry Fields" has been covered. You know.
2: No, I think Brian Jones really was the one most responsible for the, the, you know, the musical adventurousness that the Stones showed in the mid, Mm. you know, in the mid sixties. And, you know, he might've, it might've gone even further if he hadn't gotten sucked into the, you know, the, the vortex of drugs and, you know, basically just became so burned out that he just, you know, had, no more usefulness to the group to the group when uh yeah. when Mick and Keith dumped him in in uh in 69
0: I hate to keep lashing back on the stones but you know I hate I loved when they did Black Limousine and I was I was hoping that that would be a taste of more to come and it wasn't it was just a, mm. a one one shot deal and I because I really thought they were great you know they were great some of those blues songs. Those early albums are wonderful. You know, they they had the, the instrumentation. Mick was a great singer, you know, and they they just played really well. And and I was really sorry that that whole uh, Michael. Did you, do you do you agree with that, or does that strike a chord with you, or
4: a little bit? Because um, as far as the Stones and progression, whereas let's say the Beatles or McCartney, they might try on a new style for an album, or mm-hmm. uh, you know, for more. Than just one track. I think the Stones over the years they might you know try a different style for one track on an album, but then you know then they're on to the next thing or or back to what they were doing. Um, but as for the progression, I mean to go back in years, I mean let's go back to the '60s for a minute. Um, obviously, when the Beatles released Rubber Soul, I mean that was quite different from the albums before then. And You know that's considered a leap forward. And then the next Stones album after that, and I don't think it was uh, necessarily copying them. But I mean the first Stones album of 1966 was Aftermath. And, um that was a pretty diverse album, pretty musically, I think maybe even more than rubber soul. I'm not saying it's better than rubber soul, but if you you know if you made a list of all the different types of styles on aftermath, mm. i think uh I think it's quite a list and then and then of course, I admit that you know when revolver came out, you know that you know that outdid it but uh so for a minute there, they really were you know so for, for a few months there, I think the stones did have the most progressive rock album Interesting. but it, but,
1: it, but it didn't last long. Michael, um, Alan touched on this earlier, but John's comments about the Stones copying the Beatles, you know, two months later, do you think that um, that John was being unfair, or do you think that there's some accuracy to that?
4: I'm somewhere in the middle about that. You see, some of, John, I mean, there are a couple, the cases that John cites, and then I'll get into the cases that, uh, I won't list them all, but uh, some of the cases John cited, some of them have some uh, validity, um, some of them... I might give the Stones uh, an out on a reasonable doubt. And there's some that just don't make sense, either because of chronology or for other reasons. But then, the, but then I've seen the fans of the Beatles, when they're ragging on the Stones, and they're saying, oh, this was the Stones copying this. Uh, some of it gets into, uh, like, Paula's dead clue territory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but um, but mm. just to run by some of the examples John said, now he said, uh, as tears would go by, it was a copy of yesterday. I could see that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can't really defend that one. Although part of me wonders that maybe part of that was sort of a, sort of a put on. I mean, not a put on, but sort of like, okay, you guys, you're so smart. You did an acoustic song with strings. We can do it too, you guys. But you know, I think their heart was in it too. But I blame Andrew mostly on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, satanic Majesty's request, effort, you know, can't really say too much to defend that one. Um, but the one that I never understood, well, two that John said that I really can't go with. Number one, when he said we love you, was a copy of All You Need Is Love. I don't hear hmm. it. And that's aside hmm. from the fact that uh, I've seen different recording dates given for We Love You, but uh, the ones that John Wynn says in his book predate All You Need Is Love. So that, that should, if that's right, that would put an end to it right there. But I mean, I don't hear any similarity between those two songs at all. But then the one that really uh, I thought was kind of off was uh, didn't John say that he thought that Miss You was a copy of his Bless You?
3: I didn't ever that. You've told me that. I, I, I don't. Remember that. Whoa, I haven't
4: seen that one. I think I saw that. I think uh, Robert Rodriguez uh, mentioned that on uh, his board. I think that's mm. where I saw that. Mm. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm a little baffled. Other than the title and the fact that you know John does go uh, something on, which you know kind of sounds like the riff of "Miss You," but uh, I don't know.
3: Maybe it's a copy of "Coming Up."
4: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs>
3: Michael. I'm not sure what the chronology is, but they're both rattling around the same garbage pail here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Um.
1: Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> you're, you're, did you call coming up garbage?
0: Oh, uh oh. Uh oh. Uh-oh. Uh-oh.
3: <laughs> ding, ding. Okay. In this uh-oh. corner.
1: <laughs> Alan, it we, sounded
4: like you were going to ask something to me. Defend, well, defend, it, uh, defend yourself, an, Alan.
1: Is, is it Ken a disco song? I don't call it a disco song. First of all, the, the live version is not.
4: No,
2: certainly
1: not. You know, the, the, the studio one, perfect. I don't really... Studio one. The studio one, I don't consider to be disco. Mm. I don't really think of it as disco. Hmm.
2: Hmm.
1: You know, that all falls into that same category. There are a lot of people who think Good Night Tonight is disco. And Lawrence Juber told me it's not a disco song. Oh, it's uh, a dance oh, track. It's, yeah, it's... You know, it depends upon, you know, your ears and what you're hearing. So I never thought of coming up as being disco.
2: Plus, you know, it, it, when it came out, it was right at the height of the, of you know the, as I call them, the disco sucks wars, and <laughs> and the fact that it was on a twelve inch single, and 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 CBS particularly insisted on calling those twelve inch singles disco singles, so mm. it immediately. It could have been, you know, uh, Leonard Cohen, and uh, if he had put out a twelve-inch <laughs> single, people
4: would have said, "It's
2: to disco record." It's on a twelve-inch.
4: Oh. Although I got to say, when when uh, when that came out, uh, the baseline, that made me think he was doing like a disco. It sounded to me like a disco-type bassline, but maybe I'm just reaching. A little bit. For coming no, up. I agree. Oh, I thought we were talking about uh, "Goodnight Tonight." Oh, we we talked about both. So. Actually, either, yeah, either. Hmm, okay.
2: Michael wanted to ask you a question about Nick. Okay. As a uh you know as a performer because you know in recent years he's appeared on various award shows or on Saturday night live or right. uh, you know and and has absolutely wiped up the floor with any of these you know the these young bands. And I just uh, was wondering where you kind of stand on uh, uh, mix abilities as a performer and as a front man, say, in comparison to a Roger Daltrey, a Bono and other, you know, contemporaries and semi contemporaries of his.
4: Uh, It's a tough question. Well, first of all, um, Roger Daltrey and Bono are two people that I mean, I used to be a big Who fan. I still like the Who a lot. But mm-hmm. I, haven't really, I haven't really followed the recent years, so I, don't really, I couldn't really compare you to what Roger's been doing recently. Sure. Um, you two, I kind of um, haven't followed in a long time. But you know, just to sum up Mick as, a, as an, an entertainer, I guess that's what you're asking?
5: Uh-huh.
4: Yeah. I, th- I think he can do a great job. I mean, I thought he was great on SNL and uh, some of the award shows I've seen. And when I hear people that aren't generally Stones fans, as I did at the time of these appearances that were saying, oh, he was really good. Yeah. I figured he must be doing something right. So uh, yeah, he's 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 got charisma, charisma, as uh, David Letteroff would say about, <laughs> yeah. about himself. Uh, so uh, yeah, he's he's still got it. Yeah, he's
1: great at doing comedy. He is great at doing comedy. I tell you. Yeah, he's that one that one sketch on Saturday Night Live with uh, Mike Myers and him, where Mike Myers is playing Mick Jagger and Mick is playing Keith. That was
4: classic. Yes, is,
1: <laughs> that is that was so good. I mean. Mick was so spot on with Keith. Oh, and who wouldn't know him better? So. <laughs> no, that was great. Anybody?
0: Anyway, <laughs> anyway yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, um, anybody, anybody have anything, uh, short uh, items or tips or anything they want to bring up?
2: Well, one thing about, you know, again, the Beatles versus Stones uh, comparison um, have to have to take into account is the fact that it took the Stones about a year. To really take off in, in America. Now, you know, they did it a lot quicker in England, it was by really about the third record. But in, in this country, it really took until, even though, you know, even though Tell Me and Time is on My Side and then Heart of Stone were, you know, were moderate hits, it really took until the last time for them to really take off. Here. and of course, then, then again, the next record was Satisfaction, which you know put them over the top as the number the number two band in in the world. But Satisfaction
3: it, just had its an, its fiftieth anniversary, it was, I think, exactly
2: last month. a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. You know,
3: I mean, just to play devil devil devil's advocate, um, <laughs> you 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 could argue that perhaps if if Mick and Keith were going to play John's game, they could say that um, Day Tripper. Was in some ways ripped off of satisfaction because yes. they're both songs start with a memorable guitar riff. Same key. And, uh, yeah. So there you
4: go. <laughs> I, you know, I, I never really noticed that about Day Tripper until a few um, few years ago when I was doing a podcast. I was going to do um, features where, and I did one of this like this, where I would take a particular Beatle record and I would play other records that came out in England around the same month, you know, right in the same month, just so you could see what their contemporaries were issuing at the same time. And uh, when I was looking at the records that came around the time of Day Tripper, I saw several 45s by other bands that sounded to me like they could have been uh, all inspired by Satisfaction. And, and when I saw Day Tripper, you know, at the same time, that made me think, well, maybe that was too. And then I thought about the, uh, the drum beat in the middle, you know, with that you know, the snare on all fours like you hear on the bridge. <laughs>
5: um,
4: you know, because some of the other records that were out around that time were, um, I forget which one it was, one of the Dave D, Dozy, Beaky, Stills and the oh, Rocks. No, it wasn't Bend It. Um, huh. It might have been You Make It Move. I'm not sure. Oh. I don't think it was Hold Tight. But uh, And then you got Keep On Running by Spencer Davis, wow. you know, which has that same kind of beat in the fuzz guitar. And uh, not as obvious. I never would have thought of this until I saw it in the chronology. If you know the Zombie song, Is This the Dream, mm. the chorus of that is kind of satisfying. You know, it's got that E to the D. But in the E route, I'm, I'm being kiki now, so I'll, I'll stop. But uh, <laughs>
3: Well, you know, button. if you like it, if you like to do that sort of thing, I mean, here are two that didn't come out at the same time, but they're fundamentally the same song. The Beatles Drive My Car and Jimi Hendrix Crosstown Traffic.
4: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. They
3: both have yeah. that do 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 The Beatles have it in the right. line. Hendrix has it right up front. And they're both about, you know, one's about traffic, one's about cars. That's right. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I think I think there's a de- very definite connection there.
4: I never and, thought about that, but you're right. Wow. Yeah, and I never thought enough, enough, about that.
2: And oddly yeah, enough, uh, both of those songs have been used uh, by radio stations for, as
1: their traffic beds. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, it makes sense. Depending on yeah. the
0: format. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Hmm. Well, anyway. But
1: actually, the, the guitar riff that um, the Beatles used in Day Tripper was borrowed from um, Watch Your Step from bobby parker oh yeah because uh you know john lennon played that on the interview with dennis elsis and that's also where they got i think the um the riff from i feel fine is from there yeah Mm. i think i think it's kind of more obvious
4: on my on i feel fine than it is on day tripper but it's definitely there on that yeah so
1: but i mean with everybody borrows from exactly from uh, other artists
4: which brings up a point and that's uh one little thing that annoys me a little bit about when I hear Beatles fans going off on uh, the Stones as, you know, copying, is that I often hear, uh, I often hear Beatles fans talk about Beatle records and say, oh, this was influenced by this, this was influenced by this record, but if the same sort of degree of influence is on a Stones record, they call it copying, and sometimes I don't (laughs) think that's fair. For example, they'll say, uh, they'll say, I saw her standing there was, uh, you know, uh, influenced by talking about you, but "19th Therapist Breakdown was a complete ripoff of <laughs> daddy, and uh, I don't know <laughs> that doesn't sound fair to me it's like I think the difference between uh, being influenced by and being derivative of something shouldn't be based on you know what you think of the group doing it
3: right
4: yeah mm-hmm. so I think I think there's a I think sometimes in the Beatles versus Stones uh critique on both sides I see this so I'm yeah. not just bashing Beatles fans here um I don't want to do it because I am one uh but uh I think uh, they're both guilty of a little hypocrisy, hip, hypocrisy now and again. Hypocrisy.
1: Okay. Yep. Okay. Very
4: true. I was just going to cap that by just saying this. So, so that's that's why in both boards, I, on both Beatle boards and Stones boards, I'm often seen as a guy, you know, Beatle boards see me as the Stones guy, Stones boards see me as the Beatles guy, when really what I am, I'm the, can't we all just get along guy?
5: Right. <laughs> yeah.
4: Because <laughs> I love both groups and, you know, and – uh I got into the stone. I got into the Beatles first and the Stones it was actually just cuz I had collected all the Beatles records it was almost like okay what do I do now oh the Stones of course but uh that was before I knew that uh you know I think that was before I even knew about the rivalry whether it exists or not or you know how to what degree it exists but I mean I just heard records I liked you know and uh, there may be more overall brilliance in the Beatles records but you know my ears uh just like the Stones records too so there's something to like about everything mm-hmm. and that's where I that's 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 Why not? my own stand on it
0: anyway gentlemen thank you very much this has been this has been really uh, really uh enlightening we all uh i i think we all got a lot out of this and we all learned something and uh looking at looking at it from a different perspective um so michael for, first of all thank you for for coming aboard um again michael is the is the author of the theme of the show that you hear every week. Uh, so let's give a big round of applause to Michael. Yeah. yeah. Thank you thank, okay. you. thank you.
4: And, the official, and, uh, the official name of ahead. that piece of, the official name of that piece of music is theme for theme for Ken and Steve. I guess I better change that now, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I have to call it theme for Ken and Steve because, uh, the title things we said today that already been taken.
0: Oh, okay. And, uh, uh, yeah, I know who did, who did, and, <laughs> and you have a, um, you are a performer, and you uh, are performing in the uh, uh, New York, New Jersey area, correct?
4: Uh, yes. Um, one gig I'll bring up, because it does have a little bit of Beatles relevance, um, September 19th at Randy's Now, uh, Randy Now's Man Cave in Bordertown, New Jersey, uh, I'll be performing on a bill. I'll be playing the bass for somebody some of you may have heard of. Her name is Palmyra Del Ran. She uh, was in a band in the 90s called The Frigs, an all-girl band on the underground scene, the garage scene. Uh, she works as a soloist now. I'm her bass player. And she's, out, she's, she's also now, you might have heard her, she is a uh, DJ on Little Steven's Underground Garage on the Sirius Network. Oh, You can hear oh, her on, okay. you can, you can hear her on uh, Sunday mornings at 8 to noon on the East Coast. But the reason I said it's got a little Beatles significance this gig is because also on that gig are some friends of Ken's, The Gripweeds.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah.
2: Right. Okay.
1: Yeah, they just put out a brand new album which is great called How I Won the War. And of course, you know how they got their name and how they got the title sure. of the album. But mm-hmm. they also cover The Inner Light on the new album, but they right. it's a great they put out really strong edgy rock and roll that's melodic. So if that's what you're into, as most Beatles fans are, then you should check out that band, The Gripweeds.
0: Okay. All right. Well, anyway, Michael, thank you for joining us.
1: Um, it's been a pleasure, and thank you for having me
4: on the show. I yeah. Have your time. Absolutely. You're you.
0: you're welcome. And next time we need somebody to defend the stones.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, seriously. I, you did. You did a great. Uh, you were great. You really worked. Well, thank, uh, thank you. And
4: I got to say, you, I, I didn't really have to defend them too much today. I think we all seem to be on the same page on a lot of the, what we said today. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Basically. Yeah. We didn't. We didn't. We didn't hit him hard enough, guys. Yeah, we, we better start over. <laughs> Yeah I know <laughs> I know right. anyway, um anybody, any any uh, anybody got anything to mention uh uh upcoming this week uh that uh that uh, we should let people know Well up?
1: I I have something I'd like to plug on my website because I'd like to tell all of our listeners to be on the watch for two very big special contests that I have going one of which times perfectly with the 50th anniversary of the Beatles at Shea because Dave Schwenson has been a great guest on our show and also, I've done an interview with him privately, which you can catch on my website. I'm giving away his two books on The Beatles, The Beatles at Shea Stadium and The Beatles in Cleveland. That should be around the time when this show gets posted for the first time. And then also, not long after that, I'm going to be giving away the new John Lennon vinyl box set, wow. courtesy of Universal Music. So wow. that'll be coming up pretty soon. So if you can, go to my website. It's KenMichaelsRadio.com. I'll have a special contest for both those uh, different contests, the the Beetle books and the light in albums on vinyl.
5: Cool. Okay.
1: Uh, and,
0: Alan, uh, Alan Al, Al, I know you got some
2: com- coming right, up. Right,
1: because this weekend,
2: uh, when uh, when this show airs, it uh, it'll be the uh, right in the middle of the Chicago Fest for Beatles fans, which is. Um, uh, August 14th, 15th, and 16th at the Hyatt Regency O'Hare uh, just outside of Chicago so if uh, any of you are still kind of on the fence about going, please, by all means uh, come by and uh, and if you do, come by I'm going to be all over the place uh, so please come by and say hi Okay.
1: It's Alan, all over you, the place
3: Yeah, all over the place Alan, you got anything uh, to, to mention? No, I'm just going to be floating in my pool this week
1: Hey.
3: <laughs> Go Red Sox.
1: Living the life. <laughs> Red Sox. Right. Also, and, since uh, Al mentioned um, the Fest for Beetle fans... Um, I will be a part of Danbury Fields Forever this coming weekend. That's That's, uh, on August the 15th on the actual anniversary of the Beatles at Shea. That's at the Charles Ives Center in Danbury, Connecticut. Come by and uh, say hi. I'll be introducing some of the the Beatles tribute bands there. Say hi to Charles Rosene. So uh, a lot going on that whole day. There's, uh, I believe, Charles said, 11 different bands all performing on stage. Beatles and solo music throughout the whole day. What could be better?
0: And if you go to our Podbean website, Beatles, uh, if you go to Podbean dot com and look up the uh, our podcast, uh, you'll find the you find our interviews with both Charles Rosinet and Mark Lapidus uh, as uh, two of the mo- two of the last five shows we've done. Uh, mm-hmm. We d- we just did, uh, and you can f- actually find uh, all our shows uh, or most of our shows at the Podbean site. And also, they're also streamed on YouTube, but the uh, the Charles show was really cool because he talked about not only he not only Danbury, but he talked about his uh, the some of the things that have happened to him over the years uh, on his beetle tours, and Mark surprised the heck out of us with the anecdotes about about Beetlefest and some of the some of the things that I didn't know. About, about uh, things that had happened at Beatlefest and some of his opinions, including if one of the Beatles was to show at Beatlefest, which one did he think would show up? And I was completely caught by surprise by that answer. So those shows are, are online and they're well worth listening to, and we hope you'll catch them. Anyway, till next time, on behalf of Alan Cozen, Al Sussman, Ken Michaels, our guest, special guest, Michael Lynch, and myself, Steve Marinucci.